Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. We believe all women lawyers deserve to be wealthy women lawyers. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm so excited for you to meet our guest today. So let's get started. Jordan Ostroff is the lawyer with a life. He works three days a week, 20 to 25 hours, because his firm systems and processes dialed in, and he's hired an amazing team to execute it all better than he ever could. He then started a marketing firm to help other lawyers get the right cases to also live a wonderful life. So welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast, Jordan. I'm so happy that you're here. I'm so thankful that you had me on. I know. We've we've been kind of uh, uh, connecting with each other a little bit over the past couple of years, and I've been watching you grow your uh, your marketing business, and it's really been exciting to watch. So we've got lots of questions and lots of things I want to talk about. Um, let's start with how you became an attorney. Was this something you always knew that you wanted from a little kid? You were dressing up like Matlock and running around or what? How did, how did that all come about? Yes. No, that, that is exactly it. And it was funny because I, I mean, I still don't know what it really takes to be an attorney. I don't know if any of us do, but in uh, sixth grade, I was able to shadow a judge because his mother was in the same retirement home as my grandmother. And then when I got to the university of central Florida, I was on the uh, mock trial team, so we got to do fake trials. And I was like, oh, you're just arguing with people and trying to convince them that you're right. That's what I've been doing my whole life anyway. So it was a, a natural fit, I guess, even though I had no idea what it really would entail. Fabulous. So you, like me, you're a fighting knight. There used to be fighting knights. I don't know if they call them fighting knights anymore. Knight, golden knights. I don't know. I'm also a UCF and Barry University Law School grad. So we have the same, we have that in common. Yeah. Um, but I, I was probably a fighting knight long before you were. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you when I graduated, but it was a long time ago. <laughs> no problem. So it is, they are just the knights now. They are. I know. It was I funny. Know. They were like, no real team is going to call themselves the Golden Knights. And then like three years after they dropped the name, the Vegas professional uh, hockey team became the Golden Knights. So whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. But there's been a lot of transition with that university. And now I'm happy to report one of my nephews is had just started his first semester there and uh and it's and i've been driving out there to see him is completely different from when i went i graduated from ucf i want to say in 1990 1990 so a long time ago and it's changed much and i'm so proud of how much it's changed and the great you know so we have such a strong alumni network now you know yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, they have 70-something thousand students every year, so our alumni network grows and grows and grows. It's crazy. It's crazy. And I noticed in your uh, marketing company, especially, that you, you have a, you have some nights in your in there. You have some other people who have gone to UCF that are working for you there in the marketing company, correct? Yep. Just looking at the bias. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about your decision to go. You went through and you were making arguments and you decided, I'm going to go to law school and become an attorney. And then you got out and you became an attorney. What surprises were there for you when you did that? That's a great question. Um, so I knew I wanted to be a prosecutor. That's part of why I went to Barry because they had a really good trial team. And, uh, and so when I got the job still in Orlando and at the Ninth Circuit, it was interesting because they were like, okay, here's your 200 cases. These 10 are going to trial in the next 20 minutes. Like, go have fun. And they sat me down and my uh, co-counsel 
was my intern, who is not a lawyer, who was his first trial as well. And so thankfully, I had, you know, at that point, what, six years of, of fake trial experience. So once I stumbled sure, through we'll jury selection, <laughs> right, I was like, once I got through jury selection, I was like, all right, I know this part, like mark this, tag that, send this, this is the stuff for here. Um, and so that was helpful. I mean, I guess the biggest surprise for me in retrospect was realizing like that was one of the few jobs where you would get to connect with a lot of other people of a similar age or at least similar experience level. Cause I mean, they hired, I don't know, 20, 25 of us in a class. My wife was a PD. So she had, you know, maybe 15 or 20 people in her class. And so it's been really cool to have a lot of these relationships. Whereas if you went straight into a private firm or hung a shingle on day one, you know, you're going to be the only person there within, you know, five or 10 years of you whenever the firm last hired an associate. And so it's really interesting to see where all those people have gone now, you know, they're, they're judges, they're managing partners, they're running big firms. It's been really interesting to see the, the growth of my fellow colleagues. Yeah. Yeah. That's tremendous. And it's a tremendous way to start out making those connections. I, I went straight from law school into my own practice and uh, fortunately I'm in a small County that has a really active bar. And so I jumped right into the bar right out of the gate, but I had, I'd worked for a little, uh, an intern for the state attorney's office here in the 18th 18th Judicial Circuit and also for one of the judges. So I knew people that way, but I imagine it's a real bonding experience when you're going and that's your first job because you're, you have all these other people and you're stressing out this, you know, oh my gosh, now I'm actually needing to represent clients and be a trial lawyer. And you have that, you know, all those people are going through that experience with you at the same time. What made you decide to leave that and start your own law firm? So my wife left the PD's office where I left the state. Uh, She went to work at a private firm and didn't like it for the opposite reason. Like at the PD's office, her clients were too guilty. At the private firm, her clients were too innocent. And so we were trying to figure out like what the future held. So she wanted to try to go teach civics, seventh graders, you know, basically teaching them law. And so when she did that, I was like, all right, well, you know, now you've got the the guaranteed salary again. We've got health insurance through you. Like maybe I should start opening a firm. And so from my wife's perspective, we talked about it briefly. From my perspective, we agreed upon it. So like a week later, I was like, all right, hey, I uh, put in notice. I'm renting space from so-and-so. And like we're putting this together. Um, and thankfully, like she didn't even finish the year of teaching. Like within, you know, six months of opening the firm, I had enough stuff for her to jump and and she hated it. I don't blame her. It was uh, dealing with dealing with criminal defendants was a lot better and more rewarding than dealing with juveniles who didn't understand the consequences of any of their actions. So, um, yeah, so she jumped and uh, has been working with me ever since we each own half the firm. And she likes being a lawyer. So she does all the legal work now. Oh, awesome. So tell me about that. Tell me about growing the practice and what that was like, because you you have several people now working with you in the firm, but you're not actually actively working in the firm because you've gone and started this other business. So what was that transition from point A to point B? What kinds of uh, things did you need to learn? And, you know, what challenges arose that you were unexpected? Uh, everything, you know, it's, it's one of, one of those, I mean, I say that jokingly, but I'm really not joking. I, I had the benefit of, you know, like you talked about, our, our legal community is great. So when I was ready to make that jump, I talked to a bunch of other criminal defense attorneys and some other lawyers in town about what the change would be like coming out of the prosecutor's office. And I got great advice and really helpful stuff. And somebody offered me, you know, paid for, but, you know, cheap space and whatnot. And he ended up throwing me some cases to get me started and, and whatnot along those lines. But 
I never knew to ask like the business questions and obviously law school doesn't teach that. And so next thing you know, I was able to generate a decent amount of business because I had been in Orlando for at that point, you know, 10 years between UCF, Barry and the prosecutor's office. And so I had some connections with people and they were, you know, sending nice enough to send me some cases, but I knew nothing about, you know, I knew what to do with the cases from a legal standpoint, but not really how to manage the client experience not really how to provide value back to them, not really how to grow those relationships. And so I made a ton of bad decisions and then finally hit sort of rock bottom. Thankfully, it was just financial, not anything you know truly serious. We didn't mess up any cases. We didn't have any health issues, whatever. And that was the time where I was like, all right, one of us needs to learn business. And that was going to be me because my wife enjoyed being a lawyer a lot more than I did, especially at that time. And so we sort of made that I want to say split, like not physically, but, but, uh, focus wise. And so she can cite all these cases for you and the dissenting opinion on this. And on page 12, they argue this. And I can be like, Hey, these are KPIs. These are the ones we need. These are the ones we track. These are the ones that move the needle. And so it's been um, a lot, a lot better and a lot more fun once we've done that. Cause we like, even though we work together, it's really funny because we can tell stories because neither of us are actually really engaging with each other, except at our uh, all office meetings. Yeah, I, I think that's what uh, a lot of partners sort of want. I, I mean, if they're good and successful in their business, they wind up having to sort of divvy up tasks, you know, and somebody's going to be the, the one who handles, going to be the decision maker in all things marketing, and somebody's going to be the lead attorney. And, you know, it sounds like you guys uh, caught onto that pretty quickly. So that's wonderful. You had mentioned some of the uh, mistakes that you made, and one of them that was notable that that you mentioned has led you to creating your own marketing company was that you invested in some bad marketing companies or decisions or or whatever. So tell me a little bit about that. You don't have to name names. You yeah, can tell me I, a little bit about that. <laughs> I mean, the short answer: the name is every single one that's not like the ten other cool ones like us. Um, but anyway, but and and to be fair the marketing mistakes that I made at that time were external and internal. You know, yes, I pro- I hired the wrong companies because they didn't make sure I had any sort of internal process. So whether they sent me good leads or not, I had no consistent follow-up system. I had no sales training. I had no idea, you know, what to do with the leads. And so that was an issue in both directions, even if they were good. And then by the time I was able to get that part lined up, I realized most of the leads were pretty bad coming in from companies that didn't understand it. But ultimately, I didn't know my ideal client. You know, I didn't know who I wanted to come through the door. I didn't know what success looked like in any of these campaigns. I didn't know what was required of us internally as, you know, Jordan Law to make sure that we were doing right by all those leads and then by all the clients. And it was figuring those things out that really put me back on the right track or put us back on the right track. Right, right. I have seen that mistake, unfortunately, more more times than I like to think about from clients who've come and, and hired me with regard to coaching. It's a not knowing what you don't know problem, right? So you go and you hire a marketing company because they've reached out to you and said, we can solve your marketing problem, but you don't really, you know, as the business owner, you haven't really gotten a good understanding of what it is that you need to know to make that marketing effort successful. So you wind up writing big checks thinking uh, the money, I'm just going to throw more money at this problem and it's going to solve it. And really what you need is to do what you did, which is, you know, step back and go, wait a minute, what do I need to know as a business owner so that I can vet people? It, it's it's like uh, 
you know, I, I share with people that you need to, once you figure out who your ideal client is, where they hang out, and you're, you get really clear on your brand and your message, that is going to help you when people are reaching out to offer you, like, this is my, this is the thing that's going to solve all of your problems in marketing. And then you're going to be able to look at that more objectively and say, well, wait a minute, that's not where my clients hang out. I don't need to go do, you know, a series of TikTok videos because that's not where my clients are. It might be for some attorneys where their clients are. And for other attorneys, it might not be, right? But if you don't know the answers to those questions, you're not going to be able to give them the information they need to be able to do the kind of job for you that they need. Have you found that to be the case since you started Legalese Marketing, that it's important for you to help your clients? You're probably doing a little more to bridge the gap than maybe what you're experiencing because you know that's a problem, right? Yeah. I mean, look, ideally my best clients also have a coach. So they're coming to us with that coach. And I love it from the standpoint of, you know, you all buttoning up the fulfillment issues and you all really working through a lot of those things with them. And then when they're like, okay, my ideal client is somebody 30 to 40 in this area of town with this and that we can look at, all right, these are the demographics of the platforms that those people are most commonly on. These are the, you know, the uh, platforms that allow us to geo target and whatever um, along those lines. And it's just, it's so funny to me because I say funny because like I hear a lot of things that I know I said in, you know, five years ago or five years later or whatever. And I'm like, you know, this worked for so-and-so this worked, this didn't work for so-and-so. And I'm like, right. But like, that's not the point. The point is like, who are they trying to get in front of? What are they trying to do? What's their price point? Who's their ideal client? You know, and you'll get like the biggest one I think is estate planning firms. You know, there's estate planning firms that have the older person who's worth $5 million or more as potential clients and the ones who have the brand new parents getting their first estate plan. And so I'll be like, well, the estate planning firm down the street got, had a ton of success with this exact same marketing campaign. I'm like, right, but are they targeting the same clients? Like why, why Why? are you looking at it that way? And they'll be like, oh no, they're targeting, you know, the new parents. I was like, right. So when you're talking about somebody who's worth $10 million in, in assets, they're not going to Google to find an attorney. They're talking to the financial advisor. They're talking to the divorce attorney. They're talking to their business attorney. They're talking to, you know, their friends about it. Whereas that new parent who doesn't know a lawyer, who's like, oh my God, I need to, you know, God forbid we die. I need to make sure my kid goes to the right family member. Like they're the ones who may get impacted on Facebook by seeing, you know, your webinar come up or by, you know, talking about it on Google and whatnot. And so it's just, yeah, they may be Googling. (laughs) They're Googling. Yeah. Yeah. It's just been really fun to have those conversations because I'm like, don't take this the wrong way because I was in your shoes. I'm just trying to save you from the $200,000 mistakes that I made between when I was you and when I'm me. Right, right, right. It's so important to to know who you're dealing with. And, and, you know, talking about estate planning, using that as an example, too. A lot of times people think, well, you know, I'm serving this older clientele, but they're not they're not thinking about the adult child of a parent that may be really the influencer in that process. And do I need to do I need to think about who the influencer is as much as I need to think about who the end you know, client is. So there's a lot that can go in. There's a lot of thinking that needs to go into marketing. And I know that for, uh, that's the challenge of a lot of attorneys who love being attorneys and they started their own business and they're like, I don't want to be a marketer. And it's, it's not about being a marketer, but you can hire marketers to help you. Like your, like your company, you can hire people to help you, but you have to be a business owner, right? If you've chosen to hang your shingle, that's part of it is being a business owner and making that decision. And if you could partner up with somebody, and it sounds like the two of you have really good synergy in that 
and one of you really loves being a lawyer and the other one really loves the running the, of the business part. And, but you have to have, you have to have somebody in your business that likes the operations, right? Because if you, if you don't, I mean, then you, then you need to be working for somebody else if that's not your thing. And it's, and it's perfectly okay. Either one is a, a perfectly good answer, but if you want a business that actually makes profits, like your business is done, then, you know, you, you kind of have to get in there. And so for you, you really dug in to learn about the operations part. And then you found that you really enjoyed uh, the marketing enough to actually go start your own marketing company, targeting attorneys. Tell me what, besides your own experience, were you, were you hearing from other colleagues that this was a problem? I mean, what caused you to sort of flip that switch and say, you know, I really want to do this and pursue this as a, as a marketing. What, what did you see that was a need? Yeah, I'll jump into that in one second, but I really want to echo what you just said. The concept of if you go work for somebody else and that's what you like and that fits what you're looking for more, that is not a loss. That is not a mistake. That is not like there's nothing. I feel like we get stuck on this concept where like you have firm owners up here and then you have lawyers who are employees below them. And that's just not the case. Like it's really oh. about finding that happiness. So I love how you phrase that to go back to that question. So yes. And, and kind of, that's what, that's what happened with legalese. So I put together a group of other like, not necessarily like-minded attorneys, but like a group of attorneys that we were all relatively as um, new to firm ownership. So maybe the one to four year mark or something along those lines. And we were complaining about the exact same stuff. Like all of us had the same problems. You know, yes, there were maybe a couple more emergencies here for criminal defense firms than there were for estate planning and for family law. Yes, there's more, you know, client complaints and and whatnot than there are in other areas. But for the most part, we had the same issues. And so the cool part was getting connected with Greg Eisenberg, who's my business partner now on Legalese, and having him walk me through a lot of why we had made those mistakes. Um, And that was actually, he's a fellow knight. We we knew each other similar to you and I, like in similar circles. And then I won UCF 30 under 30. He won the following year or two years later. And so like through that, like that was at the exact right time for us to have this conversation but all these attorneys I've been talking to, I went from like, excuse my language, bitching about my firm to bragging about my firm once we had these things lined up. And they were like, oh my God, like help us through this. And I was like, yeah, cool. Let's see. Like, will it be transferable? Is it the same thing? And and the reality of it is the answers are different for everybody, but the questions are the same. And when we well, went so explain through- Explain what you mean by that. Explain what you mean by that. Yeah. So who's your ideal client? Who are you trying to get in front of? What's the purpose of this marketing campaign? You know, what do you need to truly be offering? What do your clients really want from you? You know, those questions are, are questions that every single law firm needs to answer. You will have different answers, but from those, you get a much better picture of where to be, of how to be, of when to be, of what to say, of, you know, how to physically target it, but also how to change the messaging. You know, if you are very industry, if you're a B2B attorney who's very industry specific, so you're working with tech startups they're obviously looking for a different jargon and a different tone from you than if you're that business attorney working with, you know, fortune 500 companies that have been around for 150 years, you know, they don't need that same concept of the startup stuff. They don't need you to be on the cutting edge of technology. They don't expect you to have some of those things. And so everybody will have those different answers, but answering those like very similar core questions really makes every other decision a lot easier. You know, should I do this marketing? Should I hire this person? What should I charge? Like you think about it from the client perspective, from the ideal client avatar perspective, and those answers become easier 
not easy, but easier. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you think? So you got this group together and, and you kind of, they were your guinea pigs, right? Starting out, you started out, said, let's go with it. Let's see what we can do. And you, and you discovered that there's enough, there's enough need there and enough commonality there that you were able to help them, you know, avoid some of the mistakes you made. So before we get into maybe some solutions for people, talk to me about some of the mistakes that you see that maybe you felt you made or that you see other attorneys, uh, law firm owners making when they're thinking, when they're looking at their marketing. So the, the biggest one for me now in retrospect for me, but also going forward is that sales process because leads have no value. You can sit here and say, statistically, I close X percentage of these leads. Statistically, they pay me X average or they resolve for X or whatever. But like until they actually become a hired client, they're worth nothing or maybe even less because you've paid for them and you're spending time on them and they don't convert. And so that becomes that sales process. And so like we work with a lot of our firms to work backwards from that standpoint, you know, putting together drips and emails and whatnot in their CRM or incorporating stuff, you know, from the sales process through their coach so that it's consistent. Because if you aren't following up with leads the same way, you're going to close them at a different rate. You know, you hear about attorneys all the time with that ebb and flow. So month one, you don't sign anybody up. You've got no work. So month two, you call everybody back a million times. You sign up five cases. Month three, now you're busy. You don't call people back. And then you can't really tell if the marketing's helpful or not because you've completely changed uh, the scientific method. You've completely changed the variable of your follow-up. And so by having that in place, then you can work backwards. So then you can see you know, what platforms give you the best uh, ROI, what specific ads give you the best ROI, what referral sources give you the best cases, whatever it's going to be. You just have to have that consistency on the sales process to really know what you are doing to get people to that sales process, to that intake, to that consultation, to that strategy session, whatever you want to call it. Um, Otherwise, you're just kind of flying blind. Yeah, I I love what you're talking about in terms of looking at, you you can't find any of this out without looking at your data and your metrics and like digging into what's really happening. And one of the things that uh, I've seen a lot of clients do, and I'm sure you probably have too, is this idea of we think we know. Like we're, we're you know, we say, well, you know, here's, here's what's happening. And so of course, being attorneys, we say with such certainty, here's what's happening is that I'm not getting good leads or here's what's happening. I'm, and then when you start really asking questions, um, detailed questions about, well, how do you know that? Like, what is your, how many leads have you had? What's your conversion rate? What, you know, where are these leads coming from? Oh, I don't really know, you know, and it, and it can be a very slippery thing to figure out where your leads are coming from because we have such, you know, if you're, if you're doing your job right, you've got a lot of messaging going out of a lot of different channels. And sometimes the way people function today, they may see your, uh, you know, you follow you for a while on Instagram and then see something on Facebook and then hear you on a podcast. And then one day they call your office and they hire you because they have a need. And they're, they're like, how did, how did you find out about it? It's all the internet. We have something there that's not very reliable, it, it, which is the, the eyewitness, right? <laughs> you know, where, how did you find out about us? Well, you know, the internet. Uh, and I Googled and maybe they Googled you because somebody personally mentioned you or something. So, you know, doing as much as you can by track, tracking data is probably a huge component of what you guys are doing and helping your clients get clear on that. Am, am I, is that correct? 
Yeah, absolutely. And the cool part is, so obviously, look, tech, technology advances faster and faster all the time. But I think that we have, over the last five years or so, had a lot of technological advancements in the tracking of technology. And it's a weird kind of meta situation. But, you know, you've got UTM codes. So you can go to Google. Type, if you Google UTM code, they'll give you the generator. So it's an extra thing at the URL. So, you know, uh, davinafrederick.com slash blah, 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 slash Facebook, slash post on October 1st, slash whatever, it'll show you like that is the specific post that they clicked on to go to the website. And then you've got call rails. So you can put a different phone number on every single landing page. So when they got to it, you know, they called the 407-111-1112. And you know, that came from this ad. And then, you know, you've got the CRM, you can do different contact forms. So they filled it out on this landing page. That's contact form, you know, AB, that's on the 27th ad that you're running. I mean, there's all sorts of things you can be doing. The reality of it, though, is you got to look at what juice is worth the squeeze because you can track a billion numbers, but you may not have the time or the resources to do anything with them. So that's a lot of what we're doing also is like, look, best practice would be X, but realistic practice is Y. Yeah, yeah. I, even as you're going in and you're explaining all this codes, my eyes are glazing over because as an, and I'm a marketer, like I, I think like a marketer because that's what my career was before becoming an attorney. And I understand all that. And also I'm not a data, like I'm not a data person. I have to, as a business person, there's certain data that's important to me. And then all else, I want somebody else to handle for me. Right. And that's what I tell my clients. I'm like, you really don't want to know. Like you just want to know, you want to know what you need to know to make good financial decisions in your business. And so that you know that when you're investing money in what you need to be investing the money in, you know, to keep the machine going and to build the machine and make the machine bigger, right? So that's why you hire people to help you with that. Uh, and so, you know, you you went out, you had a passion for it and went out and learned it and started a whole other business around it. But for a lot of people, they're wanting to grow a successful law firm and that's what they want, you know? And so that's where you, that's where you start hiring people to help you do those things. And one of the no-brainer hiring decisions is to find somebody who can help you with marketing. But I think the key is, like we talked about earlier, you have to know what that means. Right. Absolutely. Yep. So you guys tell me about legalese and what you, um, the services you provide, because there are a number of them, but they all sort of come together in a cohesive way. And tell me, tell me why that is. Thank you. I'm, I'm honored that it is that you view it that way, because that's the entire goal. So I always tell people we are more a fractional CMO for law firms than we are a marketing vendor. There are a million different vendors out there that will sell you that one thing and it'll work or it'll work for somebody. So what we have done is we've taken that one step back into that fractional CMO role. So that's really coming together and taking, you know, taking the business plan you've got from your coach or diving into that ideal client and really coming up with an overarching plan that makes sense for you to grow your firm that is custom made for you. And so then we can see where can we add some things that are basically doubling down on what's already working. So one of the biggest things I talk about now with people over the last, especially, you know, 18 months or whatever we are through 20 months through COVID is social media. And I get all the time, these firms look, we're hundred percent referral based. We've always been hundred percent referral based. I'm not learning social media. I'm like, no, you don't understand. What I'm telling you is we're going to gear your social media to your referral sources so when you can't have lunch with people, when your state is locked down for whatever from COVID and when, you know, you can you can't get in touch with 50 people who are on vacation for all of July now that COVID is over or whatever it is, you can connect with them in that manner. 
And so we're taking these things that seem to be totally different, but really creating that plan of where they go and impact what you've already been doing. And some of the stuff we execute, some of the stuff we don't, you know, we have people that are working with a bunch of other companies and we're just kind of overseeing everything and making sure the great blog post written by this company becomes a great Canva social media post from this company and just tying everything together with that tracking. And that's totally fine. You know, my thing is I want attorneys to be happy. I've seen way too many uh, have their life ended early through their choice or other decisions they made because of being miserable somewhere. You know, obviously we've got a huge mental health issue in our profession and I don't think we do ourselves any service by not having law school teach you any semblance of business because I think that financial pressure uh, exacerbates whatever underlying issue that people have. So I'm hoping to agree. fight against that a little bit by free advice and good help and great clients and doing great work for them and whatnot. Right. I, I totally agree with you. And it, it's something that whether you're working for a law firm or you started your own law firm, or you're growing it. If you are working for a law firm and you're wanting to move up the ladder in the partnership level, you're still, you still need skills in how to make money and how to get clients. You know, when you, when you're starting out as an associate, you know, the strategies for larger law firms is, you know, we have these associates for learning how to be great attorneys. And then when you get to a certain point, you know, that's when you start really focused on growing a practice. But, you know, I, I work with, a lot of business owners as you do. And it's one thing that's kind of been my mission from the beginning with this is that it, I started my own practice when I was in my early forties, when I graduated, it was a second career for me. I had a lot of business knowledge and skill and it was a challenge and it was stressful and it affected me negatively and affected my marriage negatively. And because it was just, I had so much anxiety all the time about all that I didn't know. And so I've kind of been on a mission to help, in my case, women law, women law firm owners. Although I have had male clients before, I've just kind of kept niching down my brand um, <laughs> and working with women law firm owners to help them, you know, step through the fear and, and realize that this is doable. If you go to law school and if you can pass the bar and you can become an attorney, you can figure out the business skills that you need to have a successful wealth-generating business. And what I hate seeing is people go for decades not making any money in their business because they don't know and they keep giving away services because they feel sorry for people and they're not taking, they're not putting their own oxygen mask on first, you know, and it's so frustrating because there, there are, what is so wonderful about social media is there's so many resources out there now. You know, when I, when I started my practice, it, Facebook was just a baby and Instagram wasn't even a thing. Right. And, and now there's such an availability of, and I love social media for the ability to connect without having to leave your desk and drive an hour and eat some rubber chicken lunch and come back, you know, like, and you're sweaty and you're, if we're, in, we're both in Florida, so you're sweaty anytime you go outside, especially in a suit. <laughs> and so, you know, I think it's terrific because you can network at any time. You can get attend a networking meeting at any time just by logging on to whatever your preferred social media account is where your, your best refers and your, prospective clients hang out, right? How cool is that? I love that mindset on it. And even and even for the lawyers that don't run their own firm, look, there are entire practice areas that uh, didn't exist for 14, 15 months. You know, we couldn't do evictions. If you were at a firm and you were just milling through that work, 
you probably didn't have a job at some point during COVID. But if you were at a firm like that and you were generating, you know, several hundred thousand dollars a year in business in evictions that don't exist right now, firms probably went out of their way to keep you because knowing once the evictions happen, you'd get back to generating, you know, that business to cover your salary. Like it gives you leverage, whether it's your firm or not, having those cases, having those connections, having that rainmaking ability, having whatever you want to call it, it just, it will allow you, I think, to be happier because you've got more power, control, leverage, whatever we want to call it. One of, one of the things you were saying earlier is this, uh, you're, you're dealing with attorneys who say, I don't, you know, I don't want to be on social media. One of the mistakes I think a lot of people make is they, they think to themselves, it has to be me. Like I've got to go do the, the, the dancing, the TikTok dancing, or I've got to dance on Instagram or whatever I got. Listen, I have an Instagram social media manager and she's just like, really, Dina, you need to do reels, reels, you need to do reels. And I get it. <laughs> I'm also like, yeah, and I need to get to a point where it's not me doing the reels, right? So there are other ways. You got to do reels. You're totally get right. Your, get your message out there and get get people, make people aware of the services that you provide that you know people out there need. And it doesn't have to be a you thing like we often think it is. When we think of social media, we think, well, I'm going to have to sit on Facebook all the time and blah, 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 blah. And if that's your thing and you would like to do it, then yes. But if it's not your thing, there's plenty of other ways to get business without having to go do this thing on social media that you don't like. And there's and there's ways that other people can run social media and there's ways that you can start a podcast or you can, you know, give webinars with people. And I mean, there's all kinds of things that you could do um, where we use technology and it's not what some people may envision, right? Yes. And look, here's the thing. We only have so much time. There's everybody has the same 24 hours in a day. I am totally on vision prospecting. Like that is my thing is pushing the companies forward and doing the prospecting through content creation and whatnot. So what do I lose out on? I lose out on actually being involved in fulfillment, whether that's the marketing side, whether that's the law firm side. So what I never understood is when you have these people that are in the content creation, but also want to position themselves as the best person to do the work when the client's not going to have that experience. So if you look at a lot of my social media and my company's social medias, we're doing employee spotlights. We're doing testimonials that highlight people that aren't me. So when somebody calls our firm because they know me and we don't ever talk because I don't do the call, I don't do the work, um, I don't do the negotiation stuff, they know that they're going to great people. Why? Because that engagement with me, that engagement with us has talked about how amazing Andrea and Leonette and Lewis and Kim and Thane and Heather and everybody else are through specific client testimonials through specific clients saying how wonderful they were to work with through having, you know, seeing them on some of the videos and some of the content and whatnot. And also then it saves me time from creating a lot of those videos. So there's a win, win, win in theory. Let's dive into that a little bit more because one of the things I really want to talk about is this idea that as attorneys, we have to be the one to sign up clients. And this is a big, like I introduce this to my clients as a little bit of thought work, you know, and what every time I do, there's always this sort of like, I don't even understand. Like, how can anybody but an attorney do a consultation? I don't even understand. It's like, their, you know, heads start sort of spinning around and off their neck because it's mind blowing for a lot of attorneys because for the longest time that well, the whole tradition of a law firm was, is that, you know, you, you made an appointment, you talk to a lawyer and the lawyer signs you up. 
but we're seeing that shift for a lot of people. I know it's something that I'm advocating for my clients. Is let's like you need to be moving out of those consults, those initial consultations, and those because they're really sales conversations. And we need salespeople. We need people who are intake people who are getting people signed up to work to have the client retain the firm. Then they meet the attorneys who are doing the work, right? So tell me about that for you because I know you you have that in your business. Um, and what does that look like? So here's, here's what that problem really boils down to. It boils down to the attorney or the law firm as a whole, not knowing their true positioning statement, not knowing really what sets them apart, not really knowing what their sales pitch is. Because without that information, you can't really explain it to somebody else. You know, the attorney can sit in there and pull out of their butt the thousand cases they've handled and the recent results and whatnot, but they've got no system in place to get somebody else to understand that. Um, that being said, I do all the sales calls currently for legalese. I actually close fewer of them, a lower percentage than our salesperson, but our problem was they were so effective at signing up people that weren't a good fit for us yet in, in both directions. And so it was a lot easier for me to come in and be like, Hey, don't hire us now because you don't have the fulfillment lined up. Like go get a coach, go do this instead, go follow this, go go grow to this amount and then come back to us for us to take your marketing there because we'll be, you know, it'll be too successful and you, or it won't be successful because you can't handle the extra cases. Um, but from the law firm then perspective, you'll be, it'll, then you'll be freaking out about malpractice because you're getting all these cases that you can't handle it. Stuff's falling through the cracks and all that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Timing of things is important. Definitely. And it's not something that people should start with. I also think what you said too, like you have to, you have to really master and understand your sales process yourself and really understand what it means to and, and get over the idea of like you're doing sales when you're doing consultation when you're meeting clients as an attorney your goal there is not to just give them a legal education in their initial consultation with you which is what a lot of attorneys do we jump right in and start solving the problem before they've even retained the firm and instead there should be a process in place that that help makes them feel heard and helps them identify, helps you identify whether or not that's a good case. And I always tell my clients, like, the the objective of your prospective client and your objective are different right. in that conversation, right? Have you found that to be the case? You, you've taken back the sales conversations in legalese, but you've taken them back for a very specific reason. Uh, is it something that you plan on keeping, though? I would imagine it's something that you're planning on eventually. Yeah, no, no, that's yeah. a, uh, <laughs> the days of that are numbered because it is, there are too many of those sales conversations, which is a great issue to have. But, yeah. um, but along the lines of what you're talking about with that, you know, having those discussions, the crazy part about this, and I did not intend this to work this way when we did it at the firm, you actually can turn everybody at your firm into a salesperson unknowingly by having these sort of conversations. So we do every Monday at, at actually both companies, but for the law firm for this purpose, we do a modified EOS level 10 meeting. And so as part of our issue identification, I've carved out 20 minutes of that time for us to have like group conversations. And so, you know, the first week of the month, we go over all the monthly numbers. So everybody knows we're totally open with everybody on all of that stuff. And then the other weeks we've got different discussions. So every like four to six weeks, we do a why should people hire Jordan Law over any other firm conversation with everybody? I don't care if you are a our brand newest intern. I don't care if you're a reception. I don't care if you're in intake. I don't care if you're one of the attorneys. I don't care whatever it is along those lines. You're in this conversation talking about it. 
and we change up some of the questions. So like I'll ask people, you know, I'll ask the paralegals, what are you hearing from clients in a positive manner? Like, what are they telling you they appreciate? They're like, oh, you know, when I get on with Andrea or receptionist, she's able to get me exactly to the right person. I'm not going through a phone tree through whatever. Great. So that's something that clearly means something to people, whether they're potential clients or new clients. And we'll walk through this thing over and over again. So since we started this relatively consistently every you know four to six weeks, I have seen our referrals from our employees go up because they have friends and family members who now like they are feeling more comfortable explaining about our firm and what they do and hearing the feedback and whatnot. Also backed by the fact, you know, we're tagging them on social media with the great reviews that share them as well. And it's been really funny to see people that are truly not in a sales role be able to be better at it because they actually understand why people would want to work at our, would want to hire our firm. I love that. I, I have a friend who's a, who trains organizations to create selling organizations so that everybody in your business is, is selling for you and they understand. And what I love about what you're doing is oftentimes attorneys will, they, they don't want the referrals that their staff are bringing because they're not, they don't, they're not a good fit for what they're doing. And it's because they haven't trained people to be able to talk about what they do in a way and and get it clear in their in everybody's mind on the team exactly what makes an ideal client for our firm and what's a less than ideal client for our firm. Because I think that everybody in the organization has to know the answer to that question. Because if not, that's where you're going to get people who aren't a good fit coming. And then they're going to say, but yeah, but they're my, you know, brother-in-law, sisters, aunts, cousins, you know, whatever, right? And so uh, we need to, and then we're giving away free services to a family member of a, you know, and it just becomes a, a mess. That'll ruin your business. It'll ruin your business. So I love what you've done with that. Thank you. And and again, it was completely unintentionally. It started out as like, hey, let's get this information over to intake. Let's get this information over to, you know, anybody doing the consultations. And then that ended up being a ancillary benefit of it, which has been very cool to see. Right, right. So let's talk about, we've talked a little bit about, uh, I want to make sure that people understand to what the services you provide, because it's not just uh, social media, right? We've talked a lot about social media, but do people still need a website? Yes, probably more than ever, or at least you need some way for people to hire you virtually, digitally, whatever. Um, I think that's probably a website. I think at this point it's weird if somebody, but I'll leave it out there for that one random attorney in some town that doesn't have one that still does really well. I still advocate websites because I think they are your, they're your virtual office that's open 24 seven, 365. They don't take holidays. They don't call in sick. They're there and there's a button that they can click and get book a call, book a, you know, like reach out to you. There's a phone number that people can find. And so you guys are, you're, you're doing the, you're helping clients with that. I, I call that like, this is your virtual office and everything else is our garden path sort of back to it. You know, you're, and when you look at your website, this is, you're coming into your lobby and you're seeing, you know, your, that's your introduction to, especially since so many of us don't have physical offices anymore anyway. Right. So this is a place where people can see, get a sense for your brand, who you are, what it's like to work with you. Uh, I know in your, uh, on your legalese website, you have, a, I could tell that you're somebody who has a sense of humor about things because of the way the copy is written. 
you're a man who lives in shorts and flip-flops. You know, like I can yep, see that from looking at everything you're doing. And I'm going, okay, so he's got a different sort of attitude about what it means, what it, what it means to practice law, you know? So you're not a stuffy person, not there's anything wrong with people who are more buttoned down because sometimes their clientele connects with a more buttoned down look, yep. you know? So that means, and a, and a seriousness, you know, there might be some people who practice in estate planning and they're dealing with older clients and to them, their, expect, their expectation of what an attorney looks like may be different than clients you would work with, right? Tell me about I that. Tell me how that came about. Sure. I mean, look, the, the, really the end result of that is I've had people message me like, I don't think you take this seriously and I would never hire you. And I'm like, awesome. I really appreciate that feedback. Thank you so much. And a lot of times if they're doing it, if they're not doing it in a jerky way, like I've had people do it in a very like you're an a-hole way. I've had people do it in a very like, this is my feedback for you. For those people, I'm like, hey, look, here's five names of amazing other attorneys or amazing other marketing companies that take it super seriously. Try them out. Like that's the better fit for you. I'm totally cool with that. Go have fun. I'd rather you find somebody who's good than struggle around and hate the marketing profession, hate the legal profession, whatever. Um, For me, a lot of it was like, this is the best question that anybody can ask. And every time I have a guest on my show who says something along the lines, I ask a very similar question because like, it's me. Like that's the end result of it. And I think all of us are looking for this. How do you come up with a brand? How do you come up with it with a shtick? How do you come up with a thing? But like, really, it just has to be you. And I really looked at like, what makes me happy? Wearing a suit does not make me happy. We talked about Florida weather and whatnot. And it's going to upset people. And I'm totally fine with that. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in my thirties, but I let as many gray hairs come in as possible. So I look a little bit older. So the shorts and a t-shirt at a, at a meeting is um, helpful. And then like, we've got the citrus club in downtown Orlando. That's a great networking opportunity. You have to wear pants. So I didn't join like flat out. That was my reasoning. And not obviously not that I want to show up in underwear, but like, I want to show up in shorts. And so I found people that are cool with it. And there are plenty that aren't. And there are plenty of potential referral sources that we don't have a good meeting and we go our separate ways. And there are a ton of potential clients that we don't have a good meeting and we go our separate ways. And that's totally fine because the referral sources that I do have and the clients that I do have, I genuinely like. We genuinely enjoy hanging out and playing golf and going to lunch and going to magic games and whatever it is. We genuinely love supporting our clients' businesses in, you know, local, they're a local restaurant. Well, guess what? They're going to cater our next office meeting, yada, 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 because we found people that like us. We found people that we like, and we've really committed to that brand of, you know, being approachable and being nice and having a sense of humor about things as much as we can. You know, there have been plenty of conversations my wife has had with people that just lost a kid to a car accident or, you know, something along those lines. And obviously like, Hey, we're not starting that conversation out with a joke. But when they go to the website, they're going to see our family. They're going to see, you know, all of us hanging out. We did um, last week was National Comic Book Day. So we had everybody in the office dress up. We got some funny stuff and posted it. And did it bother people? I don't know. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. But like there are definitely people that engage with it that thought it was so cool that were sharing, you know, their childhood memories of comics or their favorite movie, Marvel movies over the last 10 years. And those are the people we want to work with. I agree with you. I mean, I think it's we talk about ideal clients, oftentimes people think in terms of money, can they pay me? <laughs> you know, are, do they, are they meet this demographic? But sometimes ideal clients, well, not sometimes, ideal clients really are, are they going to be a good fit to work together? Like I have a, something called a right fit call. 
And the purpose of that call is not just so people can, you know, make the decision to hire me. It's me making a decision whether or not I want to take them on as a client, because I know that I have had enough experience now to know that they're, it's not, they're not going to be happy later down the line and neither will I, if they're not a right fit to work together and uh, work with my company. So I believe that. And I, I once had a coach say something along the lines, of like, if you're not repelling people, you're not attractive. You're not highly attractive enough. And I want to be highly attractive in my you know, attracting those right fit clients. So I'm, it makes me happy when I find that there are people I'm repelling, right? Because then, you know, okay, well, my message is hitting out there. So for me, it often will come up in, you know, like sharing my point of view, sometimes in the political or current events or things that are going on. And people go, oh my gosh, are you like, you're talking about politics on, and I'm like, yeah, but, but I'm comfortable with that because you need to know who you're going to be working with, right? If you're, if you're working with my company, if you're working with my team, it's going to be, you know, you need to know who that is because it's not, it's, and I need to know who you are. So I think it's really important and it, and there's plenty, there are plenty of people out there who will be highly attracted to the, your style and your way of working and your, your business brand and your message. And there are going to be other people who may go, Oh, well, I really like, you know, I really like what he's saying he does in his company, but you know, like I just, I just think he's not taking it seriously enough. And then you know, okay, well that's not, then you might be okay to work together, but then again, if it bothers them deep down that much, then they can hire somebody who's, you know, wearing a tie. And it's funny, like the way that you phrase it about that right fit call, I love it in both directions because you're going to get some people that are like, oh, that sounds like the ultimate luxury of business. But then you're going to get those other people like, no, that sounds like the core necessity of business to truly weed out the wrong people and focus on the right ones and do everything, or I shouldn't say do everything, gear everything towards engaging with those great people. Yeah, because you're, because you, you know, you don't want people, those are the people, if they're not a right fit, those are the people who down the line, you're going to be having heartburn over and staying up worried about you're not able to make them happy. And those are going to be the people you're worried are going to go write you a bad review and all that stuff. And it's, and it's, and I've just found it's not, I, I've learned it the hard way. I mean, it's not something that I don't think it's something we come right out of the gate feeling comfortable doing, you know, when you're first starting out, you may feel like, oh my gosh, I just need to like get experience and get a lot of clients and do a lot of it. But the longer your business, the more you're like, man, that just ain't worth it. <laughs> like there's no amount of money, right? And for them, I don't want them to have a bad experience either. Do you know, I think there are some people who are better suited to work with different coaches than me. I and, love that. You know, and I, and I don't want them to have that experience because this is who I am and that's not going to change. And, and when I'm hiring people on my team, I always go back to my core values. And if you're, if you're not aligning with my core values, then it's, it's okay. Is there nothing wrong with you? You can have your, you know, but there are certain things that are drive me nuts. Like if I'm a proactive communicator, so I can be very flexible as long as people are communicating with me proactively that there's an issue. But when you're coming up past a deadline and, Oh, I didn't get that done my head's going to explode. So I know this about myself. It's like know thyself, right? <laughs> as a comp as a business owner. And uh, it's the same with your, your team, attracting your team as well as attracting clients. The more you and know who you are, what you want, right? Have you found that in growing your, your team? Absolutely. And to be fair, like I wore a suit every day for like two and a half years when I first opened my firm and I was miserable. I've seen you. I've seen you in a suit. I've seen you in a suit. <laughs> 
Not recently. Not I did a uh, actually did one hearing virtually during COVID for my wife. She had a we had a emergency with something in her family, and literally we called the judge and we're like, "Hey, it's virtual. Do you mind if he does it from the office in a polo shirt?" And the judge was like, "Yeah, sure, no problem." And I won the hearing, and it was awesome. And that's been like. I can't even tell you the last time I was actually physically in court. Yeah, yeah. My husband has been, was a computer technology consultant for law firms for many, many years. And when he first was, you know, had his business, he was wearing, you know, dressing nice and the tie and everything. He's going to work with attorneys and staff was an attorney, you know, and all this. And he says, but like, it's hot in, in, in the South and I'm crawling around on floors, plugging in things. And he's, I'm ruining clothes. He's forget this. So he's, which to Jesus is way before Mark Zuckerberg came out with, you know, jeans and a t-shirt and that CEO look he, and it, and people were appalled by this. And he's like, I'm just not doing it. Like it's, I, I, it doesn't even make sense. And he says, if you don't want to work with me, cause I'm not wearing a tie, like you're hiring me for what's between my ears for my brains and the way I think, and you know, the way I can solve your problem. And if I can't, and it doesn't matter what I'm wearing, if I'm solving your problem, right. And not, you know, obviously not offending, right? So like he's not wearing a he's not wearing some of the t-shirts that he likes to wear, you know, now that he's older and not in that business anymore. But, you know, I do think it's important to embrace who you are and know who you are. And that goes way beyond wardrobe, even, you know, like you're talking about in your brand. So before we wrap up here, because we need to, um, even though I could probably talk continue talking with you for another hour, um, since we have so much in common, tell me what is the idea, the one lesson you've learned or the one idea that you want to share with law firm owners out there with regard to growing their law firm business? Know your ideal client cold inside and out. And when you get those ideal clients, buy them lunch, have them come to the office, ask them as many questions as they'll allow you to and really figure out what you're missing. You know, what is that extra thing that you can add what is that extra, what is that phrasing you could change that would make more sense to them? Like really build that relationship as best as you, as possible and execute on those suggestions. Wonderful. That's great advice. I love it. Thanks so much for being here today. And I'm glad that we finally got a chance to chat and talk. And I've already, my, my, my brain is popping with people that I'm going to send your way. So um, tell us how we can connect with you and find you. Sure. All over the place. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, honestly, so for law firm owners, the best place to connect with me is probably on LinkedIn. There are only two Jordan Ostroffs in the world that I'm aware of. There is, I guess, a female Jordan Ostroff, D-Y-N, but D-A-N. It's just me and a sales guy in Boston. Um, so I'm the lawyer with the beard and go ahead and connect with me there. I'm really trying to give people free info to help them get to like that half a million dollar a year in generation because that's where you've got the money to invest in good marketing. That's where you've got the stuff to really spend on bringing in some outside experts who are awesome. Before that, I find firms are kind of cutting off their nose despite their face sometimes by committing money they don't have. Um, that's the best one. Otherwise, legalesemarketing.com or jordanlawfl.com for the PI stuff in Florida. Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, and I uh, am going to jump in and agree with you on that. I think that's an important point that we didn't get to talk about was at what point are you ready to hire hire a marketing company to help you or uh, other services like that to help you. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there. One of the things I start out with my clients, I uh, wrote about it in my book, is that if you haven't yet set up kind of a basic foundational organic platform and just using the organic, you know, using organic reach and you and your own marketing skills first, 
then you're not ready to invest in paid you know, advertising and things like that. So I think it's really important to get the foundational part first and doing that work that you've talked about, which is really getting clear on your, your ideal client is the best place to start and really digging into deep what that means, right? And a ton of, and everything I think that we're talking about here is those core things. It's a little bit of time and elbow grease. You know, nothing in here do you have to spend a bunch of money on. Ideally, long-term, bring in an awesome coach, bring in a marketing company to get a, you know, second set of eyes, third set of eyes on it. But today, tomorrow, right now, you can do all of this for free. Yeah, wonderful. Great advice. Thanks so much, Jordan. I really enjoyed it and appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. If you have, we invite you to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. The more five-star reviews we have, the more women law firm owners will be able to positively impact. Your thoughts and opinions are so important to us. If you are a woman law firm owner who wants to scale your law firm to a million dollars or more in gross annual revenue and do it in a way that's sustainable and feels good to you, then we invite you to join us in the Wealthy Woman Lawyer League. The League is a community of highly intelligent, goal-oriented, and driven women law firm owners who are excited to support one another on their journeys to becoming wealthy women lawyers. We'll be sharing so much in the League in the coming year, including the exclusive million-dollar law firm framework that until now, I've only shared with my private one-to-one clients. For more information and to join us, Go now to www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash lead. That's www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash lead. Lead is spelled L-E-A-G-U-E. We look forward to seeing you soon in the league.